A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron, and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian who works either in or through the mucky business of politics. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course you'd be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're going to be joined by Pastor Mick Fleming, who heads up Church on the Street in Burnley. Pastor Mick went viral last year after the BBC documented his work serving his community. He'll share his amazing testimony and send a message to all those working in politics on how they view poverty. But before that, I want to talk about child mental health. In my 17 years as an MP, the number of young people approaching me for help to get mental health support has risen more than any other issue. There seem to be two main reasons for this. Firstly, mental health is less of a taboo than it was, so more people speak about it, and that's good. But I also think our society increasingly breeds poor mental health. This was a big problem before the pandemic. But COVID has made things worse, with children deeply affected by disruption to schooling, by separation from friends and family for months at a time, and by anxiety and fear transmitted from the adults around them and from the daily dreadful news cycles. Comparing April to October 2021 with the same period pre-pandemic in 2019, the NHS Digital Referral Service shows a 77% increase in the number of children needing specialist treatment for a severe mental health crisis, for issues such as self-harm and suicidal thoughts. This is heartbreaking. And how many more lower-level concerns are there also building among our young people that we just don't know about? Teachers have reported a massive rise in children struggling with mental health issues since the pandemic began. With schools closed for two sustained periods, concerns were often not picked up until they'd become serious. Families have struggled alone with their children's anxiety, low self-esteem, depression and anger. This is a much bigger issue than the news lets on, and Christians should surely care. Many of us are parents, grandparents, teachers, youth leaders or others who spend time with children. It's likely that most of us know someone who's been struggling. There's a danger, perhaps, because the Bible tells us not to fear and Jesus has promised us his peace, that we fall into the trap of thinking that mental health issues are somehow not Christian. Maybe we think we just shouldn't be struggling, that mental health concerns are a sign we're not doing everything right in our faith. So we brush the issues under the carpet and make it harder for young people to admit when they're struggling. Prayer and spiritual support are vital tools in the battle against mental health concerns, but we should recognise when we also need professional intervention. We need to encourage our young people not to be afraid of mental health. People in the Bible weren't strangers to anxiety, depression and fear. After an intense period battling against the king and queen and the prophets of Baal, Elijah in 1 Kings 19 tells God he wants to lie down and die. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was in deep mental distress as he faced up to the reality of his coming crucifixion. So we should never be ashamed if we or those we love are struggling. As with physical health, there's a mental health continuum from good to poor, and we're all somewhere along it. Churches already offer a huge range of support services, but let's ensure that we nurture our children and families. We should help them to know that they are loved and accepted. 
Let's build relationships with them, encourage them to talk about their concerns. Young people's groups can help them feel they belong when they face pressures at school and from peers. Caring for our young people in our church communities is vital, but how might we also engage politically on this issue? Well, governments have taken mental health more seriously in recent years, but the sad reality is that the NHS is under immense strain and our mental health services are barely coping. If a 15-year-old broke their leg on a football field on a Sunday afternoon, they'd be seen immediately. But if something invisible breaks within one of our young people, they may wait for many months to get the treatment they need. When I did a survey of families in my constituency last year, we discovered that more than 50% of young people presenting with mental health conditions had to wait more than three months to receive attention. And 28% waited more than six months. Some 52% said their experience of that care was poor as a result. How do we put into action our compassion for those who suffer? Well, why not support a charity or a campaign group like Mind or the Eating Disorder Charity Beat? You could become a donor, a volunteer and an advocate. As you pray for those in need, you can work with charities to contact your MP and local NHS trust to lobby for better services, such as waiting time targets to apply to mental health patients, just like they do for physical health needs. Psalm 34 verse 18 tells us, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It is clear that his heart is full of care for those who struggle with their mental health, and we should seek to follow our Father's lead. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest, Pastor Mick Fleming. Uh, Mick, very, very welcome to be on our podcast. You're a bit of a celebrity, and we're very honoured to have you. I don't know about that, but thank you for having me anyway. Thank you. Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure and obviously hugely admiring of everything that you have uh, done and we've seen you've been doing over the last couple of years but of course your journey started somewhere um tell me a little bit about how you came to be a christian right so i think from a problematic background really so my my story is uh early sexual abuse and trauma so i, I was i was raped at the age of 11 and my uh, my sister died the day after, and I never got that out. And and I started taking drugs at that young age. Uh, I took my mother's painkillers. I don't know why to this day, really, but it took me away from the pain. Mm-hmm. So literally for the next, I think it was 30, 35 years, 30 odd years, I took a substance every day to try to take me away from the pain of life. Uh, and on that journey, I hurt not just myself, but I hurt everybody around me. Uh, so coming coming to faith, Tim, uh, was uh, it wasn't me saying I'm going to follow Jesus or who is God. It, it was more about uh, coming to the end of myself uh, in physical, emotional and spiritual pain. So I used to collect drug debts and I used to do... Uh, well, I've, I've probably broke all the Ten Commandments, you know, from start to finish. So you can you can kind of leave that to your imagination. And yeah. I was collecting a drug debt, and uh, I had a just a, a strange experience. And it, there was a guy coming out of a gym that I was going to collect the debt off, and I had a gun wrapped in a carrier bag, and he had two children with him, and he was holding the hands, and I jumped out of the car. 
and there was light shining off the hands of the children and the light hit me in the face and I had probably 10 seconds where I couldn't see. But in that 10 seconds, I started feeling physically poorly. I was sick. I staggered back to the car, sat in the car and I'm vomiting blood, shaking. It was horrendous. There was blood all over me. It looked like I'd been stabbed. It, it, it was coming from my stomach, from the pit of my stomach. Mm. I've never experienced anything like it. I didn't know what was happening to me. And I said a prayer. Uh, mm. I drove off first, pulled up into an industrial unit. I said a prayer and nothing happened. So I called on this God, made a demand on this God and said, mm. God, if you're real, you better help me. Nothing happened. I started to punch the car. I was mentally ill uh, through all the drugs I took. There were blood running down my hands. All my hands were, were bleeding. And uh, in an instinctive moment, I picked the gun up, I put it under my chin, and I pulled the trigger, and it didn't go off. And I felt instantly like my prayer had been answered. Yeah. There was a God. He'd answered it in his way, not mine. And I cried, and it was the first time I cried since I was that little 11-year-old boy. Yeah. And it was that was the moment, Tim. It's been a long journey from there yeah. and a painful journey, but that was the moment that God stepped in where I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And and he answered the prayer, but not how I expected. I expected to be dead and mm. he kept me alive for a reason, I felt. Mm. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're doing you such an injustice by <laughs> scooting through what is a really That's powerful right. testimony that I personally find massively, massively moving but we'll, we'll scoot through anyway because of the time yeah, yeah. that we've got. You ended up in ministry. Um, yes. How did that happen? Well, I, I ended up at uh, university doing a degree in theology, but I couldn't read and write. <laughs> uh, I didn't know I had dyslexia then, but I'd blagged my way in because I mm-hmm. thought I, I were called to do it. Uh, so I failed to, uh, miserably. I, I think my first assignment were about 6% or something, and they, they called me and they said, mate, you can't read and write can you I went no it's a, it's a degree what are you doing and uh, anyway I got a test for dyslexia and uh, and uh, I have an eye disorder so you see me wearing sunglasses it's not just to try to be the cool vicar do you know what I mean it's like you, you, you do look very cool just saying thank you yes yes thank you but uh, uh, anyway so I got the help that I needed and I got a really good degree so <clears throat> I was uh, on the back of that uh I really uh, sort of wanted to, I knew my calling, I knew what it was. Uh, and then uh, eventually, yeah, I, I got my degree. And then with the degree, I was able to be ordained, yeah. So the Church on the Street Ministries came about. Um, yeah. And you do, I mean, what, what's brought you to national attention in the last couple of years has been meeting the kind of real social need of people in the community in, in Burnley. Um, how did that work begin? So the work began, uh, basically, I was, uh, uh, when I was, I got sober, uh, I had a need to help people that were like me initially. And uh, I found a guy who was uh, in a McDonald's and he was an alcoholic and uh, helped him and he got sober, he got clean. Uh, he died two years later because he'd done the, uh, <clears throat> he damaged his body so much with the alcohol. Uh, but he, he got his family back and everything else. And uh, I, I never told him, but he was the guy that raped me. And he set me free to him. He opened the doors up. I'd felt forgiven for everything I'd done. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to cut his throat when I saw him. That's the truth. But I didn't. 
and the spirit of God gives me the power to not do things, the power that I didn't have before. And uh, that opened the doors to the ministry. And uh, I have a thing of like, it feels like God blows the doors off for me right in front of me and I walk through them. Mm -hmm. I don't open the, any doors. He just blows them off and I can see really clearly and I walk through. And that was one of the, those moments. But that was the catalyst really that uh, allowed me to move forward. Yeah. And you draw in all these agencies, different outfits yeah. that um, uh, meet the needs. You've got the food bank, you've got all these other kind of government and other social agencies who, who work out of the premises to meet the needs yeah. of folks in Burnley. Um, you've, I personally, I think totally unfairly, but you've heard some criticism saying, well, it's all about, you know, the church is all about meeting people's physical needs. What about their spiritual needs? They need to be saved, don't they? Um, yeah. What's your response to that? I think they're right, but they don't know me and they don't know the rest of the work. They know what they've seen on television. They just, you know, I'm not just a nice man, you know, giving food parcels. I'm probably not a nice man anyway, but... Uh, uh, we tell this, it's all about telling the story of Jesus. So if you come for a food parcel, we're going to find out what's wrong with you. We're going to find out what the real problem is. Mm. And all the excuses anybody's got, I don't have a suit for an interview. I can't fill the forms out. I've had nothing to eat. I've got mental health issues. I've got addiction issues. We'll take them all away until you stood on your own before God. And mm. then you can make a decision. And mm. we're seeing people, if you want to call it being saved or whatever you want to call it, we're seeing people in the hundreds, lives changed, and the yeah. secular people that come in from the from the other outside agencies are being touched and being changed by their interaction. And I guess the the media as a whole will feel uncomfortable about talking about um, people's spiritual need and their need to be saved, and the fact that you do absolutely focus upon that. And what is lower cost to them, shall we say? is to talk about the social side of it. But of course, one absolutely comes from the, from the other. That's right. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Oh, we're speaking with Pastor Mick Fleming, uh, who runs Church on the Street Ministries in, in Burnley. Uh, you've, uh, talking about celebrities, um, uh, even more famous than you, uh, you, <laughs> had the, uh, you had the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge visit recently. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was very good. So the... Uh, I felt blessed because uh, normally what happens to him is, as you'll probably know, they, they say we want to come to an area and then they're told where stuff is to go, who to visit, what to do and that. But in this case, it wasn't like that. What they'd done is they'd saw some of the stuff on the BBC and they particularly asked to come and see us. Uh, and when they came, uh, they didn't come with an agenda. They didn't come. Uh, to get pats on the back they didn't come they came and they asked me the questions and, and they wanted to support what we're doing and they were so easy to deal with uh it, it felt a blessing to to me personally yeah and you got to pray with them i did get to pray with them i thought you know this this guy could he's going to be king one day and she'll be a queen and i just thought uh they need protection you know they need spiritual protection uh uh, and I wanted to pray that. And I, I just, I wondered and I questioned myself, has anybody actually said, can I pray for you? Do you know what I mean? Because of the status. And I just thought, they, they're not special to me. They're just people, mm. you know, like I am. And and I wanted to ask them the question, you know, can I, can I ask God on your behalf? And they said, yeah. So I did. I got to pray for them, yeah. Amazing. 
Obviously, on the ground, you see people in in desperate need. I've seen some of the okay. stories um, and the accounts, and I experienced a little bit of myself as a constituency MP dealing with people in in desperate situations. Um, mm. How do you view uh, politics, politicians, Parliament? in the light of the experiences that people have on the ground, where are we failing? And so for me, it's uh, politicians try to see too big. So what they try to see is, uh, you know, we need government money or we need money pouring into Burnley, for example. What they fail to see is the smaller organisations that are effective. So mm-hmm. they don't support them. They give the money elsewhere and expect others to support them. Because it's in the small organisations that communities built, and it's building a community, whether that be in a church, whether whatever that be, it's building the community that gels people together, and they break out of poverty. So poverty is unequal access to, to the same things that you and me have access to. So if we can raise access, there is no poverty, and politicians, for me, seem to miss the fact they're always looking at something bigger. Well, you need to kind of sometimes you've got to look at the smaller. You've got to you've got to come back to the more personal. And I've never I haven't seen many, you know, uh, politicians that uh, I'll uh, weep with the poor, not for them, not talk good things about them, not say nice things and write words, but will actually weep with them. And when you get church leaders, spiritual leaders, and politicians that can and do have the ability in the hearts to weep with the poor, you'll see real change because they'll know, the politicians will know it's it's them that's poor and they'll realise they have a need for God in their life and that'll bring change. But I don't see it, Tim, I don't see it too often anyway. I see it now and again, but not too often. That's powerful stuff, powerful stuff and a rebuke for us us all. I, I mean, I wonder, one of the things you're saying there, I guess, is that you've got organizations out there um, from the voluntary sector and very often from the faith sector and especially from the churches uh, and they are effective because they're on the ground because they've got Mm. the relationships and because they are utterly motivated um, by faith um, and by um, in particular faith in Jesus do you think over the two years of the pandemic um, government and councils and the health services and so on have become more willing to engage with faith organisations and that maybe beforehand they were a bit sniffy about it? I think they've had to, Tim. I don't think it's been a decision that's been made like, let's do this. I think it's been a case of they've had to because <clears throat> there's been so many church buildings, there's been so many people available in churches and things like that and voluntary organisations uh, remember when the pandemic started, it wasn't lack of money. It was the lack of um, transporting food and getting food to where it needed to be. So it made a natural sense. So I think it's been forced on them. But now they're not supported financially. There's a lack of support financially. Might get a little bit political here and just say, and then putting the national insurance up is it's taxing the people who are doing the giving that. So what do you think is going to happen? You know, you're taking money from the very people that are donating and giving to the charities. So you're not just taxing them. You're putting pressure on the charitable organisations that are doing the work. So it seems a mistake to me. Yeah. 
I couldn't possibly comment. No, <laughs> I, I, I try to be not. neutral when I'm doing this bit. Uh, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, uh, I don't. Bracket, I don't. But that's fine. Brackets. I agree with you. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Nick, make it absolute joy to to talk to you. I mean, for anybody listening uh, who doesn't know your story, I really want to point them towards I mean, some of the great coverage um, uh, that has been given to you and your ministries, and your incredibly powerful story, which I personally am massively moved by, and I think it moves loads of other people. And I often say on this show, uh, you know, we we very much value people who have dull testimonies, you know, became Christians yeah, at seven, yeah, and yeah, quietly yeah. follow the Lord all their life. That's great. But actually to hear something utterly transformational as has happened in your life and then what you have done with the calling God has given you is so encouraging and such a reminder that God is absolutely active and at work in the world that we're in. So we're really grateful to you and very grateful for you, Mick. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Tim. Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, we'd love it if you wrote it in in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, Donna in Cornwall has been in touch and she asks... We've seen numerous untrue statements and slander in the House of Commons this past week. While those who've made the comments haven't been held to account, those who've called it out have been thrown out. What's gone wrong? Well, I'm sure if you've been paying attention, as Donna clearly has been, that relates to the fact that Ian Blackford, a former guest on this show, uh, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, was thrown out by the Speaker for basically calling Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, a liar, uh, relating to some of the things he said relating to parties that, well, clearly did take place in Number 10 Downing Street. So he was thrown out for calling Boris Johnson a liar, and Boris Johnson, at least this is how the story goes, is allowed to tell those lies in the House of Commons. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, look, the House of Commons has really old uh, rules, and the assumption is that we're all honourable members. Everybody is an honourable member. I can't call Boris Johnson Boris Johnson after calling the right honourable member, or, and uh, and likewise he's got to call me the honourable member because this assumption is that we're all honourable and we just wouldn't tell lies, and therefore, if an untruth is spoken in the House of Commons, it must be inadvertent. Now, that's naive nonsense because people do tell lies in the House of Commons. Let's be blunt. Hopefully, not as often as people think. And the question is, should someone be thrown out for telling the truth about somebody telling a lie? Well, actually, no, not really. We should also be careful, though, about bandying around the term liar and accusing people of telling lies. But when they do, as Christians, we want to be gracious, don't we? Uh, we want to hold out the offer of forgiveness to everybody, but we don't want to be neutral on the truth. And if someone has told a lie, then it's right, respectfully, thoughtfully, and in a way which isn't hypocritical to call somebody out. Having said all that, I think there is something quaintly naive about the rules of the House of Commons still saying that we can't call another, one another liars, that we're all meant to be honourable. Because my great fear in all of this is that integrity is being lost in our public life. And the assumption that integrity still exists, however naive and forlorn that hope might be, actually holds out some hope after all. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, let's join together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, as we think about Pastor Mick Fleming and his work, let us all, as 
uh, followers of Jesus Christ approach this uh, appalling time of hardship that we can see coming and has already begun for so many people, with rising bills and uh, reduced incomes, uh, real challenges ahead, we just pray that you would help us as Christians to hold faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ in calling people to repent and believe in uh, the one whom God sent to uh, pay for our sins and make salvation possible, and also to hold on to and be obedient to you to your call, to your command, to care for the poor uh, and to love those in need and to love our neighbour. May churches across our land hold to both at the same time, to the gospel and to the practical meeting of the needs of those who are most in need. We pray for our politicians, leaders of all parties, particularly those in government, that they would make good and wise decisions, compassionate decisions that will mean that those uh, who face the greatest hardship will have that hardship uh, averted and their needs met. And we thank you also for all those who work in mental health, particularly with young people, that you strengthen them, uh, give them great skill uh, and great strength and inner resilience themselves. And we just pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, look, it's been wonderful having you with us. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can catch up on all of the shows that have been recorded so far, including interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business. See you soon. 